and Merry Christmas. We're, uh, we're still celebrating Christmas, um, even today, and as we go through the, the life of Christ, um, we're going to step back uh, on Christmas Eve. Uh, you remember we were talking about the uh, wise men, and that was probably a year or so after the birth of Christ. And now we're going to step back to just about uh, a month after he was born. Um, And what you are seeing um, in the two Gospels, Matthew and Luke, is that uh, they kind of leapfrog each other in some of the details of the things surrounding Jesus' birth. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, um, he kind of jumps over some of the things that we're going to talk about in, in the Gospel of Luke, and he goes right to the wise men and uh, the, the flight to Egypt and then the return and all those things. But in Luke, uh, he kind of bypasses all the stuff that Matthew talks about with the wise men, but he gives us some detail about uh, the, the things that happened right after Jesus was born. So we have the shepherds and the angels, and then we have the uh, elements of the purity, um, the, the sacrifices, the circumcision, the naming, and then the dedication of Jesus at the temple. And what you're going to see here in just a moment is that Jesus is born under the law, uh, that he is born according to all the things that the Messiah had to be born according to, and he had to fulfill not only himself, his parents had to observe and fulfill all the requirements of the law. Jesus himself had to perfectly obey all the elements of the law. And uh, what you understand about the law, the Old Testament law, is that it was virtually impossible for a normal human being to fulfill or to complete. Would you agree? Um, And that was kind of the point in the intention, is that uh, God is revealing his nature and his character through the law. And the impossibility of a sinful human being being able to do all the requirements of the law. Now, this is something that kind of blew my mind a little bit when I started thinking about this. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Okay. This isn't a a new teaching. It's just something that you don't always really dwell on. John says that Jesus is the Word made flesh. Here's what I I grasped as I was studying this and and began to understand it. Jesus is the physical um, manifestation or representation of the law. What that means is, as impossible as it is for you you and I, or any human being in, in history, to fulfill the law perfectly, Jesus is the law. It was his nature. It was his character. It was not hard for him to do the things under the law because for him that was as easy or natural to him as breathing is for you. Okay? To the extent, okay, you think about this for a minute. Do you have to intentionally think about breathing? Anybody? Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. If you forgot... Would, would that be a problem? So, here's what happens. Let's all do this for just a second. 
Everybody take in a deep breath. Let it out. Now let's take one more and hold it. Now, <laughs> it would be impossible for you or me to hold your breath indefinitely. Your body will involuntarily, aside from you intentionally breathing, will gasp for air. That's how natural breathing is to you. You don't have to, not only do you not have to think about it, you cannot stop breathing according to your will. You would have to do something extra to, to restrict your breathing, okay? And what I'm saying is that Jesus obeying the law was as natural to who he was. The Bible says that he was the exact representation of the deity in human form. He's the word made flesh. Obeying the law was not difficult for him. Yes, he was tempted in every way that we are. Those temptations were external. Satan, the world, and those types of things. Not internal. He did not have a sinful nature. He was born under the law. He fulfilled the law perfectly so that he could offer grace. That's what we're going to learn and celebrate today is that we have this awesome <laughs> Uh, gift given to us. You're not born under the law. You're born under grace. But you have to receive it. So here's what it says. Let's stand as we read God's word this morning. Jesus presented in the temple. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21, says this. At the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. Jesus means God saves the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, two young pigeons. We'll finish the rest of the story here in a minute, but let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word as it begins to explain and, and give us understanding, insight into ultimately two things, who you are, which is most important, and secondly, who we are, that you have shown us our weakness, Lord. You've, you've made it manifestly known and understood. We are sinful creatures, born weak, born fallible, born uh, un-understanding, ignorant, but uh, with great potential and with great value. And so we thank you that uh, you revealed the glory of your nature, the glory of your love, the power of your Holy Spirit uh, gives us understanding to that seals us, Lord, by faith, Lord, for a day that uh, all these weaknesses and limits will be overcome by glory. 
And Lord, we're looking forward to that day so much. In the meantime, God, you have put your word in our hearts. You've changed our minds and our natures, Lord. Help us to live that out in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, here we are, um, verse 21, eight days after the birth of Christ. And what happens is that um, Mary and Joseph, I don't know, it doesn't say exactly where they are. Are they still in the stable? Probably not. They've probably at this time been able to find a room somewhere. But uh, as a family now, okay, somewhere, they, are, uh, they have called a priest in to perform this ceremony. And it is a medical ceremony and it's a religious ceremony. So priests have this uh, interesting... Uh, job okay in in these days uh, they had to practice medicine so uh, they had to do circumcisions they had to uh, um, uh, what's the right word Uh, when you have a skin disease they had to diagnose that they had to give you the the right uh, not prescription but uh, the right practice so if you need to be quarantined or if you could get go out they had to determine all these things the the law had shown them you know, what their requirements were for all these different things. Um, then they had to um, slaughter animals, um, and they had to butcher them, okay? And so they had all these practical, physical things that they were doing on top of, and as well as the religious things that they were doing. And so uh, the, the priest comes and performs this medical procedure on Jesus, and then they name him, and the medical procedure of circumcision is intended for and required for um, something very important. Do you remember what the, the circumcision represented? It represents covenant between God's people and God, which is basically a relationship. And nobody in history is going to represent this relationship better than Jesus. Because not only does he uh, have the outward manifestation of the covenant, but he has the inward spiritual reality of the the relationship, which is that he's always in perfect communion with his father. Wouldn't you love to just hear God's voice all the time telling you exactly what to do and how to do it? And and the the gospel of John tells us all the the details of how this worked in his life, says that Jesus tells us, I never say anything except for what my father tells me to say. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, God, I'm in this conversation. Could you give me some words to speak to what's going on here? And, you know, how many times are we in conversations and we're totally at a loss for words? Like, I'm not sure how to respond to that. I just would love to have God telling me what to say. Jesus had that. He had perfect fellowship with his Father all the time. And so he's going to represent that. Now, he is called Jesus, which means God saves. So not only does he have the sign and the the symbol of the covenant, but he is going to be the uh, determining factor of how you and I have that same covenant relationship. And so he says that my blood is the, the blood of the what? The new covenant. So no longer do we simply have a religious thing. Now we have a practical, personal um, way for you and I to have that constant conversation. I don't know about how everybody prays, but I know that I, I catch myself frequently praying. And just I'm just having this rolling conversation with God 
much of the time. The things that are going on in my life, I'm just talking to God about it. It's like that, that whatever it is, that communication between you and God, it doesn't ever have to turn off. It can always be there. We say amen like we're done praying, but that's not really what the Bible tells us. It says pray unceasingly. It's that my heart's always open to God. Now, I wish that I, it was more of a conversation and less of a, uh, a monologue. But we hear from God from His Word, and His Holy Spirit takes the intention of our heart as we pray and as we're lifting things up, and He reveals things to us in that, that, that relationship. Amen? That, that is not something that is unique to me or to anyone. Okay, Everyone who trusts in Jesus who knows God's word and has the deposit of the Holy Spirit has the same ability and opportunity to have a constant conversation with God. You just got to start somewhere, okay? And maybe it's getting into the practice every morning of, of spending some time with the Lord intentionally so that you're kind of launching into that conversation. But don't, maybe don't say amen. <laughs> Does that help? Just okay, God, I'm, I'm going to go on with my day, but please continue <laughs> to talk to me throughout my day, and I'll continue to talk to you. Uh, but this is what Jesus offers in that first um, event, is this sign and symbol of this relationship that we are to have. Now, seven days passes, the eighth day is the circumcision, and then on the eighth day begins a 33-day period uh, of purification okay, for Mary. So on the 40th day is when the next thing happens. They go to the temple. So from um, Bethlehem to the temple in Jerusalem is five, six miles. Okay? So they make that trip not difficult for people who are used to walking all day every day. Okay? They go to Bethlehem, they go to the temple, and they offer the sacrifice. Now, there's, there are two things happening here. There's a purification ritual. Who is that for? Mary. Not for Jesus. Okay, what happens in, in the law is that, and ladies, <laughs> please don't be offended about this, but they're impure after giving birth for 40 days. And then they go to the temple and they do the purification uh, ceremony, sacrifice, and ritual, whatever that practice is, but um, something is required, a sacrifice is required to bring them back into that place of, of ceremonial, legal purity. And what they get is, what they have to give is either a lamb and a dove, or if they don't have the money, they can give two doves. Well, Joseph and Mary are um, not very wealthy, and so they bring two turtle doves as their sacrifice. Now they're in right, right relationship with God. They've done the legal practice. And then there's another thing happening, which is that this is, this is where it gets interesting. They have to redeem Jesus because the firstborn is uh, some, somebody in the law who must be redeemed with a price. That goes all the way back to uh, Exodus where there was a tenth plague on the Egyptians and it was the plague of the firstborn. The Israelites were given what? Blood to put on their doorposts so that the angel of death would not visit their homes. He would pass over them. 
And what happens, though, from that day forward, so for thousands of years, the Israelites had practiced this legal you know, requirement, which was that the firstborn belongs to God. And in order to have that firstborn be safe, then that firstborn had to be redeemed, and the price was five shekels. How much is five shekels? Anybody know? I would be shocked if anybody knew what the value of five shekels was, because I didn't have a clue. So um, I googled it, and uh, I really did. But um, what you find is that as you research what a shekel is worth, I had no idea. How much would a person earn um, in a month? How many shekels would they earn in a month? Normal working wage, the average person would earn seven and a half shekels in a month. Okay, it would take you four months to earn 30 shekels. Which means, let me just break this down, five shekels is basically about three weeks of your wages. So how much does the average person earn in three weeks? Uh, just whatever you earn in three weeks, that's how much you would have to bring to the temple to redeem your firstborn. Is it a lot? I would say it's significant, wouldn't you? I mean, three weeks worth of wages, you've got to save up for that. It's not like something we're going to go scrounge through the, the couch cushions after we've had our firstborn, right? Well, I mean, we think of a shekel like a coin, like, oh, that's not that big of a deal because coins to us aren't very valuable. But in that day, that's all they were using. They didn't have paper money. They used coins, and it was by the value of the, the, the type of coin that it was, so silver or gold or something lesser value, and then the weight. But a shekel was pretty valuable. Five shekels was kind of a lot of money. And you're like, okay, so what's the, the issue here? They are redeeming the Redeemer. That, first of all, should kind of blow your mind. But secondly, here's the other thing. Jesus' blood on the cross was so valuable that it was worth the life of every single human being ever born. Okay, five shekels or three weeks of wages is, would be significant. His blood was so precious. When we talk about the precious blood of Jesus, you realize how precious it was? Every human being from Adam until the end of time is covered by the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. Now, that doesn't mean that every single human being born from Adam until the end of time is saved because they have to receive that, but it was valuable enough to be able to redeem every single human being. So how precious is Jesus' blood? How valuable is the blood of Jesus to God when he says this blood that is going to be shed on the cross is going to be capable of paying for this, every sin ever sinned? It's going to be able to cover every human being that's ever lived. How precious is one human life? Can you put a value on one person's life? And yet his blood is able to pay for every life that has, has ever been lived. I mean, I just, <laughs> it's crazy to me to think about. And how did he do it? Because he was born under the law, he was perfect, and he gave that life as a sacrifice. So here's what happens. All these things are great, but uh, we have uh, a witness here in the temple. And so um, it says this, verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. So he's waiting for the Messiah. Uh, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
And he came in the Spirit into the temple. So by the power of the Holy Spirit um, in him, he was able to see and understand some things. And he came into the Spirit in the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, you see how many times the law is being mentioned here? He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Okay, mark that. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation, mark that, to the Gentiles, and for glory, mark that, to your people Israel. So Simeon, uh, we don't know how old he is. We think that he's older because um, it says that you, you're allowing your servant to depart in peace. So we assume a younger guy is probably not going to say that, okay? Somebody in their 40s, like me, I'm, I'm not going to say, oh, now you can let your servant depart in peace. Like, I'm <laughs> really worn out by waiting for the Messiah. Like, he's probably older, and now God has revealed Jesus to him, and he gives us these three uh, messianic prophecies or understandings about who Jesus is. He says, I've seen your salvation. Uh, the Messiah, first of all, is going to save the world. Now, I don't really need to dive into that. Are we aware that Jesus is the Savior? Okay, moving on. So, and he's going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Um, the revelation means that he is going to bring awareness to the truth. Jesus is the truth. And I thought about that quite a bit. Like, what is he revealing? What, what does Jesus reveal about God? Because it says that he is the fullness of deity in bodily form. He reveals something about God in his life and his nature and his, his ministry and his sacrifice that uh, we, we didn't quite have a full grasp of before. Okay? And, and the one thing, and there is probably a thousand things. Okay? It's probably everything about God. But the one thing that I thought that he most clearly and specifically reveals is the love of God. That we knew that God loved us, and we knew that in the Old Testament that God loved his people, and he had a great uh, love for, for them and, and would do anything for them. But, but Jesus uh, shows us in his actions what God had been saying through his words, and which speaks louder. Don't we have a saying? Actions speak louder than words. And when Jesus is willing to be born under the law, live a perfect life, and then undergo the worst kind of rejection and torture imaginable and give up his precious blood on the cross, go to the grave and be raised again, we, we see by his action the great extent of God's love. And this is what Jesus says. How often do we say this? Probably almost on a weekly basis. For God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He... he was willing to do something in his love for you and me. That's, that's what, partly, at least, what he reveals to the Gentiles. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Okay, if you, unless you're Jewish, then you're a Gentile. That's all that, that means. You and I began to be um, intentionally, and um, we began to be communicated to that we are part of God's plan at this point. He, he said, I want the whole world to know the salvation uh, of Jesus Christ. is not just for the Jewish people. It is for the Jewish people. It's not just for the Jewish people. It's for all people. 
And Jesus is going to reveal God's love for all people. And then it's for the glory of your people, Israel. And what that means is, and not to get too technical about this, but in the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ that is coming when Jesus returns, all the promises of the Old Testament and all the things that God had said they would do because they are supposed to and they will be ruling on the earth with Jesus. That's a literal and it's a practical reality. Okay? Jesus will come. The Jewish people will finally receive him as their king and they will rule with him for a thousand years right here on the earth. It is their glory. It's a promise. I think that Christian people are included in that to a degree, but make no mistake, Israel will rise with Jesus and their glory is coming. Okay? And then it says this, verse 33, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Joseph apparently dies at some point during Jesus's growing up or, or adult years, somewhere before his ministry, Joseph goes to be with the Lord, okay? But Mary's going to live. It says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Okay, and here, here's what ha is happening. Simeon understands by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's seen the Christ, he knows that this is going to be the suffering servant who is going to die a horrendous, horrific death. He understands by the power of the Holy Spirit that Mary is going to be there. So Mary, fresh, okay, 40 days after the birth of Jesus, has gone through all that pain, is probably finally feeling a little bit better. Now she's being told that the pain of what you suffered was kind of like nothing compared to the pain that you're going to suffer. Um, he, he talks about it like a sword. Um, and the same word used here is like the sword of Goliath, okay? A, a really a huge battle sword. And piercing is not like a poke. It's like being run through, okay? In one side, out the other, being run through. That's the kind of pain Mary's going to go through having to watch this precious child who is the son of God, uh, but also her son, on the cross. Now, here's what we have to be careful about. Uh, we watched the Passion of the Christ movie. Um, I think it's one of the best, probably the best, um, representations of what Jesus went through on the cross and on all of that. Um, it, it really can really tug at your emotions. Would you agree? It's just like... Let me say this, and people may disagree with me, okay? And I, I'll get that. Jesus does not want and he does not need your pity. He never intended for you to pity him. When he was going to the cross, he had uh, an, uh, an exchange with some women who were weeping for him. You ever remember reading this? And they were... They couldn't believe what they were doing to him. And he says, don't weep for me. What does he say? Weep for, for yourselves. Weep for the world. Jesus knew why he was born. He knew exactly what he was born to do. He saw the cross. He went for the cross. He intentionally put himself in the position to be sacrificed. 
He knew that this was going to be a horrific thing to be rejected by God, to receive the sin of the world, to become sin. This is the thing that I think he struggled with the most. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying and he's, he's sweating drops of, of blood because he knows in that moment that he's going to have to become sin. He who has never sinned, he whose nature was perfect, who was the law represented in human flesh, he's going to have to become sin. But he knows that that's a momentary thing. And he'll go to the grave, but he's going to pick his life back up and he's going to reign forever in glory. He says, weep for people who don't accept, don't receive my gift. Who won't believe that they've been given the opportunity to have eternal life. Weep for them. Feel sorry for them. But don't weep for him, okay? He's not looking for that. And so she understands, or at least she hears, that uh, he's going to suffer. Now, here's the next thing. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. Uh, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, there's a little bit of a question. I don't know if you've ever really looked into this, but how old is this lady? Was she an 84-year-old widow, or had she been a widow for 84 years? If she'd been a widow for 84 years, she was married for seven, and let's say she was a teenage bride at 16-ish, then she'd be like 107 at this time. Is that possible? It's possible. Is it likely? Does it matter? No. Here's the whole thing here. Born under the law, Simeon has just testified to the nature of who Jesus is. He's the Christ, he's the Messiah, and he's prophesying. Uh, how, do you, how many of you know that under the law, one witness is not valid? What do you got to have? You got to have two. The whole point of Anna, she's an old widow. She's lived at the temple for how many years? Probably, I mean, long time. What they have in the temple is a huge complex. They have rooms for some of the priests. And so she, for whatever reason, because she's a prophetess, because she, maybe she was married to a priest. I, I don't know exactly. Uh, but she had a special uh, opportunity. She lived at the temple, okay? That's where she had a home. She had a place to stay. She lived there, and she prophesied, and she prayed, and she is there because God needs another witness to validate under the law that Jesus really is the Christ. All these legal things begin to come out that this is what God's doing. He's showing us that he's going to uh, abide by his own word. He's not going to stray one bit from any part of it. Jesus is the Christ. It's confirmed. All of that for what? For the opportunity for you and I to have grace. The grace that we're given is an amazing thing, okay? What is grace? I don't know if we we fully understand it. The first thing that grace is, um, 
is the forgiveness that we have for our sin. That, that's almost the least important part of it. It's like we've done wrong and God has said, I will gladly forgive you under the conditions of Jesus' blood. You take that forgiveness and now you step into what real and true grace is, which is unmerited favor. It means that you can't earn it. And unmerited favor with God means that I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that is that um, unattainable thing. I can't, I can't grab it any other way other than by faith. But God offers it freely. That grace is um, the power of the Holy Spirit to lift you into a new place with God. It's it's beyond that, okay? So grace is the power of the Holy Spirit to give you understanding of God's Word. Grace is the power of the Holy Spirit to make you a new creation. Grace is the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to give you the strength to live a life worthy of God. Okay, When, when you and I, uh, as Christian people, uh, live this life in this world, we're, we are kind of like what Jesus experienced we have uh, an enemy, Satan, and we have a world that is controlled by the philosophy of Satan that is always trying to uh, get our attention off of God and off of our purpose. That's what Satan really wanted to do with Jesus, try to get him off of his relationship with God, get him off of his purpose. We're going to look at this in a couple of weeks with Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness, okay? He wasn't tempted in his nature. He was tempted by outside forces. You and I have the, a similar opportunity. We, we also have a sinful nature we're still struggling with, but the grace of the Holy Spirit is that he gives you the power to actually live a life that is worthy, that is better. And the, the shame for so many of us is that we devalue grace. We, we treat it like it's a... Um, it's an opportunity to sin as much as we want and God's not going to hold it against us. That's what you, we mean by cheap grace. We've miscommunicated what this really is. Like grace is just do whatever you want and God doesn't care and he'll forgive you and you can just live your life without any conscience. That's not grace. God would not be holy. He wouldn't be good if that's what grace was. Do you understand that? He says, here's the law. This is my nature and my character. Here are all the requirements. Here are all the things that I, I, I say is right and wrong. I'm going to fulfill that for you. I'm going to forgive you for the things that you fail to do. But here's what I really want. I want you to dwell in the power of the Holy Spirit. Live a life worthy of the calling. So we're going to enter into a new year. Right? At the end of this week is going to be 2022. And we're going to make resolutions. Anybody resolve to lose a few pounds, exercise, uh, save some money, anything? Get up earlier, do your devotions, all that. You know, we're just, we're going to resolve all these different things that we're going to do. Um, here's a good resolution. I resolve to live in grace. I want to be better because I really am better. How do you do that? You got to spend more time with the Lord. You got to let him have more of your heart. 
more of your mind, more of your thoughts, more of your attention, more of your action. You've got to let grace do its work. Amen? And then you get to be a light to the people around you. Show them what it looks like to have a relationship with God. You don't have to beat them up. You don't have to make them feel guilty. You just, just be joyful in the fact that you know Jesus Christ. And he says, if I be lifted up, I will do what? I'll draw people to me. I can't convince anybody of anything. I can show them. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity, God, to celebrate all that you've done this year, to look forward to another year of ministry, God. And when we think about that, you know, my heart is, yeah, we have a a wonderful church that does a lot of stuff, programs and events and services and outreach and everything else. But the, the ministry of our church is the lives of our people. Each and every person who is living in grace, who is depending on the Holy Spirit, who is trusting in Jesus, and every thought, every word, everything that each of us does wherever we go, that's ministry. That's the power of your gospel having an effect, Lord, in our community and our world. And so, Lord, we pray, would you increase your power? Would you give us uh, renewed motivation just to seek you more deeply in our lives? Would you help us to get over any insecurity or any failure, any past hurt or sin that's keeping us from living a life that's worthy? Just lay it down and move forward. God, I pray that 2022 is going to be a better year than we could have ever imagined for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, as we stand um, and sing, I just want to invite you. This is kind of a, a New Year's resolution opportunity. If God is putting on your heart that you have not been fully understanding what grace is or living in grace, or maybe you're trying to be legalistic and trying to do it all on your own or whatever else it might be, today's the day. Just say, God, I want your power in my life and and not my own. Amen? Let's stand and sing.